Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. My name is Christy Anderson. If you'd like more information about this or other teachings, go to ForItIsWritten.com. Again, that's ForItIsWritten.com. Today we are in Session 4 of a six-part teaching on the message of Galatians from an ancient Hebraic perspective. In this uh, particular session, we're going to focus on this key phrase of Paul known as works of law. And in the following session, we will focusing on the second key phrase he uses as he develops works of law, he transitions into this phrase, under law. And we're going to see how he utilizes these terms and then how they're, in the biblical sense, very different from how people use them today. It's similar to what you might see when you hear people refer to the occupied territory or West Bank when referring to Israel instead of Judea and Samaria, their biblical meaning and use and terms. Now, as we look at this phrase, works of law, it's used to describe a false method of salvation, one that excludes the faith and faithfulness of Messiah Yeshua as the cause of justification. It is the opposite of hearing and responding in faith and faithfulness. And we're going to see that as we analyze how Paul's actually using uh, the term in, uh, or the phrase in each instance that he uses it. Now, there's going to also be another part to this that we're going to need to understand how Paul is emphasizing and using this phrase when he says that the Galatians, you, they don't want to rely on or those who are relying on works of law for justification, how that's going to be faulty. So relying on works of law for justification would imply the rejection of Messiah. And it's a situation that keeps one under the curse associated with the law and keeps them bound and obligated and controlled by their flesh. It does not mean, or what works of law does not mean, is trying to obey God from a heart of faith by literally obeying a commandment. Because if it was just literal obedience that was the expression of works of law, then no one could ever obey God ever. And certainly that cannot be the definition. So, as we go along, we have a few points to remember. Galatians was the first book of the Apostolic Scriptures or New Testament to be written. You want to keep that in mind. There were no other books. Uh, Paul is the only one to use the phrases works of law and under law. And Paul makes a progression from works of law to under law in Galatians as he goes along and develops the meaning. So what we're going to do now is examine each instance of the phrase works of law to determine exactly how Paul used and defined these phrases. In the first use, we see it used here in Galatians 2.16, where he says, Yet even so, we know that a person is not justified by means of or from works of law, but instead through or by means of the faith of Yeshua the Messiah. So we, Judeans, also in regard to Messiah Yeshua have believed, so that we, Judeans, might be justified by or because of the faith of Messiah and not by or because of works of law. 
because by works of law, no one will be justified. So in this first use, it is defining a person or saying that a person is not justified by works of law, but by the faith and faithfulness of Yeshua. That is a really important, in the, in the, in the law of first mention, uh, important way that Paul is defining this phrase, works of law. And in that first use, according to the law of first mention, it's setting a precedent for how Paul is going to define it throughout and how he's utilizing it throughout. So we have to look at the fact that this is an important contrast that has been developed and it's used multiple times throughout Galatians between two methods of justification, one by works of law or the flesh, and one by the faith and faithfulness of Yeshua. And so it, it, it Paul's developing this important contrast as he's defining and using this phrase, works of law. And remember, there, of course, is only one method that is going to be valid for justification, and that is where we're getting this important contrast. Now, in the second use, we have it here in Galatians 3, 2, as well as verse 5 and 6. And he says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by means of works of law or by hearing and responding with faith? Does he, the Father, who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of law or by hearing and responding with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now, receiving the Spirit and the working of miracles, as we've read here, occurs when one hears and responds with faith. So Paul's reminding the Galatians regarding their own past experience. But works of law is the opposite of hearing and responding in faith and faithfulness. So in other words, works of law would be defined as not hearing and not responding in faith. In the in faith, there is the central or key. It's not responding in obedience to God or faith, but responding in the flesh. Okay, it doesn't mean just literal obedience. It means you're responding out of your flesh. You're not responding out of faith and belief. So whatever you're responding in whatever way you're responding, whatever actions you're taking are based not in faith, but based in the flesh. And that's going to be an important nuance, but we really need to understand it. Now, Abraham heard and responded with faith in literal obedience. He did literal things of obedience. The Galatians heard and responded in faith and literal obedience. The troublemakers heard, but did not respond in faith. So really, they didn't hear in, re in reality. They responded with works of law. So in other words, they responded in their flesh. They might look like they're responding in faith, but they're not responding in faith. The Lord knows the heart. We might be tempted to think that faith is not a literal obedience, but Abraham responded literally by faith. Abraham heard and responded in faith and faithfulness when he circumcised himself and his sons. So the question then is, why is this different with Abraham than what the troublemakers proposed? The different, and what it, why is it different than what Paul is referring to with regard to his use of circumcision um, and the example of Abraham? Why is it different? Well, it's different, number one, because they were not truly listening to God like Abraham did. 
they rejected Messiah's atoning work as singular, the singular cause necessary for justification. So God will provide himself a lamb, in other words. They were ignoring the truth and responding in their flesh. Well, how? Well, they tried to use a work of law to offer justification to others as a basis for receiving God's grace, as we've seen in the previous lessons. Whereas Abraham circumcised out of obedience of faith as a response to the grace he had received. Ultimately, the troublemakers believe that they themselves are the seed to which the scriptures refer, refer and not Messiah regarding justification. So their confidence is in their own flesh, in their circumcision, and not in the true promised seed, Messiah. So it's a matter of causality. What is the basis of justification? For Abraham, justification was based on God's sovereign grace in choosing Abraham himself. It was not based on circumcision of the flesh. The circumcision of the flesh prepared him to receive the promise that had already been given or promised to him, that of a son by Sarah. Paul uses the term circumcision, not in reference to simple obedience like Abraham, but in specific reference to the proselyte ritual with intent to justify by this means. That's an important distinction we need to understand. For the troublemakers, circumcision was a matter of justification through a work of law and a matter of status to qualify for God's grace. So we've already saw this clear evidence of this in those previous lessons. For Abraham, circumcision was a matter of faith for sanctification and holiness, being set apart from the world. Abraham's justification, like ours, is based on faith and faithfulness the faith and faithfulness of God himself. And the troublemakers agreed, but they believed, or they, but they, or they believed that they themselves, not Messiah, they were the seed, not Messiah, the singular seed, were the uh, cause through which salvation could come to all men. So Abraham's relationship with God resulted in his ability to walk in faith and faithfulness. And this walking in faith and faithfulness was a credit to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith and faithfulness was not the basis of his justification. He was not saved by his works of faith. His faith and faithfulness was the evidence of his having been justified by the grace of God. Thus, when the troublemakers reject God's grace via Messiah, their circumcision is not evidence of their having received grace but evidence of their continued condemnation. One cannot truly obey God or have faith and faithfulness without having first received the grace of God by and through the faith and faithfulness of God to keep covenant with his people. So remember, for the troublemakers, justification was a matter of a work of law. It was a matter of the flesh. It was a need for a change of status via a circumcision of the flesh in order to qualify to receive God's grace. Now, in our third use is here in Galatians 3.10a. It says, For all, i.e. circumcised men, who rely on works of law, i.e. they rely on their physical circumcision, are under the control or obligation to a curse. So what does this mean? Well, there's only two choices. Either you rely on your own flesh, circumcision is the basis of justification, a work of law via birthright or proselyte ritual, or you rely on God as the basis of justification via 
a work of faith, Messiah's atoning sacrifice. That was a, his work of faith. Now, if you rely on your flesh or circumcision, you remain under the curse. Jeremiah 17, 5 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. The curse obligates or controls all men prior to faith. So what is the curse? Romans 5.18 says, So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, well, one man brought a curse to all men, in other words. So I'm pausing here in the mid midstream of that verse. But Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, if we continue in uh, 5.18 again, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. So a second man, Messiah, then brought an end to the curse. Believers are no longer under condemnation, Romans 8.1. Romans 8.2 continues saying, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So the law that says if you sin or violate God's instructions, you will die, is a curse. But that is different than saying the law is a curse. Is the law itself a curse? No, God forbid, says Paul. Romans 3.31 says, Do we then abolish the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. So the curse is not the law itself, it is sin, which results in death. So sin, a violation of the law that is resulting in death, that is the curse, is the curse when we sin because of our flesh. So without the law, there would be no sin, not because sin would not no longer exist in the world, but because we would live in a world that says nothing is sin. Does that sound familiar today? Thus, to remove the law of God is to enter lawlessness or torlessness. God did not remove the law. He overcame the curse for us. He overcame sin. That's the curse. Enabling us to walk in life or walk according to his commandments, according to the law. No longer bound to sin in our flesh, but bound as bondservants to him and his word, his eternal truth. So freedom in Messiah, then, is freedom from sin. As it says in Galatians 3.13, Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse associated with the law, not the law itself, the curse of the, of the law. So there's a curse associated with the law based on the fact that if you violate it, meaning sin, sin is the curse that came upon us. We, we, we inherited it from Adam. So that sin that we inherited, that internal uh, propensity to go against the word of God uh, and turn to ourself instead of the creator uh, is in our, own, in our own confidence in ourself. That is the curse. And we're freed from ourselves to, in some regard. We're freed and we're... we're um, freed from sin, freed from that constant pull to always violate the Torah. Now we have a new spirit who desires to obey. 
And that makes all the difference. Now, non-believers are slaves of sin, as it says in Romans 6.20. When you were slaves of sin or obligated or controlled by sin, you were free, Paul says, with regard to righteousness. Meaning, you did not have to and could not obey the law. You couldn't obey the Torah when you are slaves to sin. So the opposite is true as well. When you are freed from sin, you are enabled to obey. Romans 8, 7 explains that man cannot submit himself to Torah, to the Torah, or obey God's instruction before faith comes. But after faith comes, the natural opposite of that is that you can submit through the power of the Holy Spirit to God's commands and walk in truth and walk in righteousness and, and life. Now, he is under obligation then, or the person to, or the control of sin, or his flesh, and thus the desire of sin, or to violate the Torah, controls him rather than the Spirit of God, because God's will and instructions, rather than God's will and instructions controlling him. So if man cannot submit himself to the Torah, or obey God's instructions before faith comes, it is because he is under the control of his flesh. And that is under law. Okay, and that is also uh, walking in the works of law. And all of this is going to come together uh, as we go through all of the other additional um, instances as in works of law as well as under law. Now, the third use, if we go back to Galatians 3.10a, is uh, for all who rely on, and we want to focus on that element, works of law are under the control or obligation to a curse. So, if you're under a curse, you are under the control of your flesh or sin leading to death. So if we continue reading in verse 11, Paul will summarize the meaning of this third use for us, where he says, Now it is evident that no one, i.e. no circumcised man, is justified before God by means of law. So why is this self-evident? Well, because Paul has just quoted Deuteronomy 27, 26 and said, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by or continue in all the writings of the book of the law and do them, them being the commandments. So it's impossible to keep the law perfectly all the time. Do we always love our neighbors ourselves? No. That doesn't mean we don't do our best to try, but we can't rely on our ability to gain life from perfect obedience. Only Messiah, God made flesh, could do that. So Paul, in Galatians 3, 11 through 12, quotes Habakkuk 2, 4, saying the righteous shall live by faith, and quotes also Leviticus 18, 5, paraphrasing it, saying the one who does them, them being the commandments, shall live by them. By doing this, Paul sets up his fundamental point of the necessity to rely on Messiah alone for justification of both the circumcised and the uncircumcised, as he continues in verse 13, saying, Messiah redeemed us, the circumcised and uncircumcised, from the curse of the law, so that we, circumcised and uncircumcised, might receive the promised spirit through or by means of faith versus then works of law, as he's been saying all along. Now, in other words, if we go back to Paul's Habakkuk 2.4 quote, it, you have to have Messiah first in order to be considered the righteous who then can live or obey by faith and faithfulness. So because Leviticus also 18.5 quote that he also brought up 
says that only the one, meaning only Messiah, who does them, who did them, the commandments perfectly shall live by them. And so he gained life through perfect obedience to them. Sinners cannot live by faith, right? Messiah is the only one who fulfilled that verse and through him and through receiving the Holy Spirit and receiving the grace of God, now we can live. Uh, again, in Romans, uh, Paul talks about this, how the, the law is lived out through us, but we can only do that because of him. And it has to start with him first, with Messiah. Romans three nineteen through 20 and 28 through 31 says, um, regarding are the only other two mentions um, of this phrase works of law. So it, it says uh, in Romans three nineteen through 20, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are in union with the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God because by works of law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes knowledge of sin. So here we see that the law can only produce the knowledge of sin, which is important information. But knowing what I ought to do cannot produce in me the ability to obey in and of itself. That requires first freedom from sin, which is bondage to the flesh. And that can only occur through one man's work of faith on the cross. And we know who that is. Messiah, of course. Now, continuing in um, Romans three twenty-eight through 31, he says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith, i.e. Messiah, by Messiah, apart from works of law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith i.e. by Messiah, and the uncircumcised through faith or through Messiah, is one. Do we then nullify the Torah through faith? Or do we nullify the Torah because of Messiah? Nay, it never be. On the contrary, we establish the Torah. So the conclusion then is an important contrast that Paul is making here. We are justified by the faith and faithfulness of Messiah and not by works of law or by man's flesh, in other words. And it's an issue of status. Works of law, then, as we've seen, is defined by Paul as describing a false method of salvation. It's one that excludes the faith and the faithfulness of Messiah Yeshua as the cause of justification, and it is the opposite of hearing and responding in faith and faithfulness. So then the next logical question would be, are Christians obligated to obey the Torah? Isn't that going back under the law? And that's generally how things are phrased. But we're going to dive more into the answer to this question in our next session. The answer will depend significantly on what one means by how and how, or how one defines the phrase under law or uh, under the laws, as the translations often put it. 
in comparison to how Paul himself actually defined under law or under the law. Again, we will have to look in detail at each use in order to determine what Paul meant and how he used this important and often abused phrase. In our next session, we will continue this thread and and analyzing each uh, unique term, moving from works of law now to the phrase under law. And we're going to analyze each use of Paul and see how he's actually defining the phrase under law and what that really means in our next session. So I hope you will join me. Uh, And again, if you'd like more information on these teachings, go to foritiswritten.com. Again, that is foritiswritten.com. Have a blessed day.